Brett Maddox here. Hope you're doing well. We are getting ready to crank up episode seven of the Potted Kisses podcast, and we are excited about this episode. We will be talking about the Trinity and why it's important, and we will be talking about some pretty difficult stuff, but it's important stuff, and we will make a case that even though sometimes Christian doctrine can be difficult, uh, that it that that doesn't mean that it's not important. We'll also be talking about Bible translations and why um, it's important to have a good, up to date Bible translation. But we'll also be making a case for the K- King James version and why it can be a very beautiful translation to have on your shelf as well and to read through, not just to have on your shelf, but to read through um, too. Uh, we are excited about this episode, and we're excited about this community. I know I keep saying that, but we really, really are. Thank you for your support. And we ask you to continue to share us with your friends and your family. And when they ask where they can find this podcast, you know you can just tell them anywhere. Anywhere that podcasts are listened to, you can find us there. Uh, Connect with us at podakesis.com or on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at podakesis. And you'll get more updates about what is going on in uh, the podakesis world. it had to happen at some point. This episode's coming out a couple of days later than expected due to some unforeseen um, issues and some travel stuff and, and whatnot uh, for recording. Um, but And so we do apologize for that delay from a regular release schedule. Um, but uh, we, here we are, and I know you've been waiting for this episode, so I'm not going to delay anymore. Let's go ahead and get started with Episode 7 of the Podakesis Podcast. We hope you enjoy Podicumans, welcome to the Podicesis Podcast. I'm Brett Maddox, and we're so glad that you are with us. Once again, we are joined by your favorite co-host, your best friends in the entire world, the ones who would give you the very shirt off their back. Alan, Jim, how you boys doing? Not my shirt. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> well, uh, Jim would, apparently. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you Jim's shirt. Al, that's just because Alan already gave me his. He's such oh, a nice guy. Know, He's in right. between free shirts. <laughs> really glad this is uh, not a uh, video recorded right now. Yes, it's very odd what we're looking at at this moment. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, we are so glad to be with you once again here on the Pod of Kisses podcast, and we hope that the Lord has been blessing you. We are starting episode seven and moving into part three of our discussion um, about God. Now, before we continue this, I do want to say you're going to want to hang on to the end of this podcast because we have a special announcement. A special announcement. A special announcement. Oh, yes. We're so excited about this announcement. And uh, so hang on. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. So um, any, anything you guys want to bring up? How, um, how have things been? What you been hearing about uh, the podcast lately? I've just heard that it's amazing. <laughs> Somebody told me that it was the number one United Methodist Catechism podcast in the entire United States. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think it is. It's not only the number one 
United Methodist podcast on catechism in the United States. It's the number one Methodist catechese, uh, catechism oh. podcast in the world. Oh, We're the number one. Speaking of what we've heard, I, I got to give a shout out to, to a friend of ours that we have not. It's been too long, and I apologize. You know how sometimes we love to have people give us five-star reviews on iTunes? Yes, and if you haven't done a five-star review on Apple iTunes, even if you don't listen on the iTunes uh, app, uh, um, you need to go and give us that five-star review. It helps us. It helps us in Apple. We need all the help we can get. Give us that five-star review. Do you hear me? Please, please, we need that five-star review. We're begging for that five-star review. All right, Jim, stop him. Stop him, Jim. I was going to let him go on because this was very fun. Uh, so, so one of our reviews um, was hilarious. I don't know if y'all saw this. It was, um, I love the podcast. I was a little confused because it wasn't about chess like I thought it was. Could some <laughs> of the hosts please talk about chess? So yes, right now, I'm going to say Rook to E4. Thank you for your five-star review, my friend. Absolutely. Rook to E4. I mean, we are just attracting everybody. We are, absolutely. <laughs> and I have no clue what move that was, so we're just going to move. <laughs> I don't think it's a real move. What is chess? <laughs> this is not a podcast about is, chess. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, it's good to be back with y'all once again here on the podcast. Uh, we're going to move into question number five of John Wesley's revision of the shorter catechism. That's not question five. It's question number six. Thank you, Jim. Jim, give me a big correction there. Question number six, we're just moving right along um, in John Wesley's revision of the Shorter Catechism. And that question has to do with how many persons are there in the Godhead? Now, what we've been talking about in the past few episodes on these uh, series on God um, himself is we've been talking about uh, what is um, who, uh, what is God? You know, what, what is, what is God? What is it? Uh, who is God? And then the last time we got together, we talked about idolatry and what it meant to worship other gods and what it meant to worship the one true God. This time around, we're going to look at kind of the nature of God, uh, this this Judeo-Christian God, uh, uh, Yahweh from the Old Testament, moving on into Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit into the New Testament. Um, how do these, how do they work together? And there's a doctrine in the Christian church called the doctrine of the Trinity. And so that's what we're going to talk about. How many persons are there in the Godhead. Uh, do you one of you guys want to take that answer just to go ahead and put it right out there uh, for us? Do you want to find out? Do you want to find out the answer to the question? Yes, I would love to know, Alan. Do Is you have the know? answer? How many persons are there in the Godhead, Alan? Oh, well, let me tell you. Yes, please there let me know. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one God, three in one, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Amen. You, we feel like you got to put an amen after that, don't you? Uh, you do. I felt that, like I was um, well, um, singing the Gloria Pachi yeah. or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and it does that that equal in power and glory. It does kind of elicit something from deep within us, some some praise that comes from deep within us, which is which is interesting itself. Now, the scripture proofs on this are interesting. The first one we're going to bring up is from Matthew 28, and then we've got some others that I want to share with you. Another scripture proof, though, that the Shorter Catechism gives is from 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. And what's interesting about that scripture proof from the Shorter Catechism is it's a passage that's based on the King James Version 
of the Bible. And that translation of that verse is a little problematic, which is why we didn't include it in this uh, for these scripture proofs. But we're going to get to that in just a moment. I'm going to let Jim take off with that in just a second. But let's go ahead and lay out some of the scripture proofs for the Trinity that we have here. Now, first, we need to let you know that there is no direct uh, passage that talks about the Trinity directly. And what I mean by that is there's, you're not going to go to like Colossians 3, uh, you know, Colossians 3, 5 and find, and the Trinity is this, or that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the Trinity. You're not going to find that. What you're going to find, though, are passages of Scripture where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are there together, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit are spoken of in ways that are, um, kind of interchangeable. And what I mean by interchangeable is uh, sometimes Jesus is talked about in creation terms. Um, sometimes the Holy Spirit is talked about in creation terms. Uh, sometimes uh, God the Father is talked about in salvation terms. So you, they start these uh, kind of interchangeable, what they are doing, what's happening. And what this did is allowed the early church to go and try to figure out, okay, if we're monotheistic, if we believe in only one God, which is what we say we do, how is it then that Jesus is the Son of God is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God, and they have they seem to be distinct but yet together? What does that mean? And so the early church came up with a formula. We call it the Trinitarian formula to explain that. So let's uh, we'll get more into depth about that in just a moment. But let's talk about the Scripture proofs. And one of the most direct places you're going to find uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, brought up is in Matthew 28 verses 16. Uh, through 10, uh, 20. And that is, it's the Great Commission. Um, and it is, uh, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, which is interesting because being monotheistic, they're supposed to worship God. That should tell you something right there. And um, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is commanding them to go and do in the name of God, which he takes, it says, in the name of Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He lays this out. You'll see this also at the baptism of Jesus where you've got the Father's voice there. You've got the Spirit descending like a dove. You've got Jesus, of course, being baptized. Yeah, let me read that real quick. I was yeah. actually going to, um, that was one of the ones I was going to point out. It said, um, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So you have Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending, and God the Father speaking. Um, Absolutely. Pretty neat. It's pretty awesome. It, it's really cool that that's there. Or how about Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, invisible and, uh, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers. Uh, he, he lays this out that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, which is an amazing statement to be made. This is what the early church is working with. These are the, the, the things that uh, the early church is uh, working with to come up with this Trinitarian formula. And one more that I think is important is in Hebrews, 
Uh, we don't know really who wrote Hebrews. Uh, some is, we know it's not Paul. The language is a little bit different, the type of Greek, but we don't really know who it was. But this is what the writer of Hebrews writes about Jesus. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. It puts Jesus right there in Genesis 1. It puts mm. the son right there in Genesis 1. And so um, I'm not going to read. You can go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the first four verses. But you can see there's passage after passage after passage. So you, you may not have the word Trinity in the New Testament, but you're going to, I mean, it, it might as well be all over the place. And then what you also, so you have, um, you have the New Testament putting Jesus at the beginning of creation. Right. He, he is God, was God, was through him, all things were created. And at the very beginning of Genesis, you, what do you have? You have the spirit of God right there over the world. And then God speaks all, everything into existence. So it, when you, when you start to look for the Trinity, you start to find it everywhere. Everywhere. Um, right. I it's, mean, everywhere. So it's like when you buy a new car and you've not seen that Kia, but now you've got a Kia and everybody's owns a Kia. Exactly. Yeah. When you're looking for that car, when yeah. you've been like studying it, I mean, like I see, I see that car everywhere. Boy, that's before, exactly. You didn't see it at see all. It's at amazing. All. That's yeah. Either happening. that or it's because they've started their buy one, get one free Kia deals again. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, There's that. <laughs> There's absolutely. So um, now there is, now I, I do want to do a little sidetrack here to talk about Bible translations. And I think that's important because we do see a place here where like the King James, as beautiful as it is, gets it wrong in a very key whoa that was bold cotton <laughs> well yeah well it, it may have been bold but it is true and so let's uh, uh this is that scripture proof we told you where the king james might be a little bit off on yeah this. so let me pick this up it's in first john chapter five uh, you'll find it in verse 70 or king james version in any of your modern versions you're going to find it in a footnote and you'll have an abbreviated verse or what would seem like an abbreviated verse. Right. So what I want to do is just read this to you out of the King James. Um, and I'm going to read verse seven and eight. It says, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the father, the word, and the Holy ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. So there, right there in verse seven, it's as explicit as you could find up through the King James Version, which we really focused and used the documents behind the King James up until 1800s. That's right. It says, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, uh, I'm going to turn over and read in, you could pick any. Uh, I'm going to have my New Revised Standard open right now, so I'll pick that up. And verse 7 says, there are three that testify. Mm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to say in verse eight, the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. And down in the little footnotes, and most of your Bibles are going to have these translators notes in them unless they're taken out for a particular reason. It even notes down there a few other authorities with variations add in that part that we just talked about. So what in the world is going on? I've actually had multiple conversations in the past two weeks about people saying, hey, why are people taking verses out of the Bible? Mm -hmm. It would seem like that verse was taken out. And then you know what happens when you see something you think is taken out? Your conspiracy brain goes crazy. Why did they take it out? Yep. Somebody hates the Trinity. They're changing the Bible. Right. But it goes down to, uh, and I won't go into it. I'm going to direct you to a video we're going to put in the show notes here in a minute. 
the source documents, the original Greek of the King James Version, really the oldest manuscripts we have are from the 11th century. And the, the goal of uh, finding the Bible's translations, the best documents are the oldest and the most widely agreed upon or better because they're yes. closer to the time they were written. Right. But at that time, that was the best that they had. And they're great. I mean, think about how the Holy Spirit has preserved the scriptures if there's only a few differences. Right? Oh, right. Right on. Yeah. And even in this passage, it probably was like some scribe, you know, some scribe named Xerox because they didn't have Xerox <laughs> machines back then. Um, was like, you know, I think this goes in the margin and then eventually maybe got copied into the main text. So right, absolutely. There's a whole lot of stuff going on there. But over time, we have found more and more older and older manuscripts, just a wide collections of manuscripts. And very few, if any, of the earliest ones have that little section. Yeah. And I just did a whole study in First John um, with my church. I'm finishing next week. It was great, and by the way. What's that? It was great, by the way. Oh, fantastic. You can That's find a... it at umc.com or YouTube slash UMC. Plug. Um, plug. But the context makes perfect sense without it. Yes, absolutely. Um, because it's almost like a random insertion of the Trinity. So here's, here's the, I'm going to point you to a, a video by Bill Mounts, who is a major American translator of the Greek into English. He sat on the ESV translation committee, currently sits on the NIV translation committee. His point was they didn't take anything out of the Bible, but probably the text behind the King James added something to the Bible. And if it's not great, if it's not good to put things in the Bible, isn't it also equally as bad to put things in the Bible? So it's just a corrective my opinion does that make the king james bad absolutely not but it, it's good to know what these things are so that you don't run down a conspiracy rabbit hole but also so that you have a sense does that take guys does that take away from the trinity at all no, absolutely uh, not yeah. and and absolutely not and thank you for saying that my little comment i made before jim came up was not a, an indictment against the kjv <laughs> as it can say because it's a beautifully i mean the language is beautiful i still we still recite this 23rd psalm in yeah. the king james during funerals and during special times uh during the and in fact so yeah. much so that it's weird to read that psalm without it, it without it it's just strange to do you it. know what i was looking at the other day is re, uh i think i was watching a translator yes i watch biblical translators sometimes in my spare time nerd alert um so much of english is uh enculturated in the king james version of the bible and shakespeare yes so it's beautiful literature as well as beautiful scripture my next full read through the bible after i finish the one i'm in now is going to be through the king james version again see i, I think that's awesome and i think that's a that's a that's a good word for us. So, so don't throw it out. I mean, no. it, it, there's some beautiful history behind the KJV, and I think that's important for us. Um, that Bill Mounts video. I'm also going to put up another Bill Mounts video since you you did that one um, uh, behind it, and it has to do with um, do um, about inaccuracies in the New Testament that he does, and um, he's and he makes a really just a strong point that the inaccuracies in the New Testament are not really inaccuracies themselves. Oh, yeah. um, there, and, 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 where, uh, and one of the issues that translators deal with, and this has been true for 2,000 years, honestly, um, is that um, uh, one of the beautiful things about Christianity um, is, that the, is the fact that we think that translations are authoritative. 
that um, there is authority behind your uh, colloquial tongue having the having the scriptures and it's a beautiful thing within that to give you an example of kind of the uh, converse of that is in islam um, the only authoritative language for the quran would be in arabic um and they, they any you know english translation or other language translations the authority of the quran goes away hmm. and that's that's a widely that that you that that is sure. not just conject that is yeah. that is true in in christianity the bible um, has a long history of, of scribal work, of passing it on through the written form, oral form at beginning and the, the written form, but then also passing it on in the different languages, translating it to the best they could. And the work doesn't, the work of translation never stops. The, one of the reasons why we have, we get new translations about once every decade or so is because there are people who continue the work of perfecting the translation, perfecting the translation. And since all the languages of the world, for the most part, except for like Latin and some others, are live languages, meaning that they change, yeah, uh, the, the, the translations themselves have, have to change. Like just, just for example, um, you know, in the famous wedding uh, chapter of Corinthians 13, it talks yes. about charity. Yes. Well, charity doesn't mean the same thing now that it does before. It, it's love, but we don't use it the same way. Here's here's an important reason why we need to regularly update into English. They're not changing the Bible. Our language is changing. They're continuing to bring it to us. So John the Baptist says something like, one is coming, and I'm not unfit to untie his thong. Yes. Well, he's talking about the thong of his sandal. Right. But if I were to give that to a sixth grader with no uh, context, it might mean the same thing. That's absolutely so true. You retranslate. <laughs> You'll get some Snickers. To, you you and the confirmation class just sandal. laughed right now. <laughs> yeah, they did. You yeah, just lost they the did. whole confirmation class. Right <laughs> well, I know, okay. but but you get the point. Like you got to continue yeah. to update these the translations right. because English changes or the language just, of the. I just right. want to figure out how we can get potakesis in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call Bill Mount. Let's, okay, let's make you. it happen. Um. Hey, uh, I think this is an I think this is an important thing. Uh, do y'all do you three have a favorite translation that is kind of a go to for you guys? Um, mine's the NIV. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I do like the ESV, um, but uh, right now it's the NIV. Yeah, has been for a while. Yeah, yeah. I go back and forth. My favorites are the New Revised Standard and the NIV. Yeah, and I want to love the ESV, and I think Brett's going to attack me for this. I want to love it. One day in another episode, I'll tell you why I have a little—I have a st- little bit of a struggle, though I deeply respect it. Um, those are my favorites. I wanted to love the New American Standard version, but reading it is like um, chewing sawdust. Yes, it, it, and what he means by that, it's very wooden. It, uh, you know, yeah. we don't—we don't speak in wooden terms. And so, no, I do. Well, but <laughs> uh, what's the uh, CEB? Is that the new new CEB? Yeah, CEB, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Common English Bible. That's that's um. There's some good stuff there. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's some good stuff. So two reasons. Uh, I stay. I I love the CEB and the Christian Standard Bible, which used to be the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Those are fine, but there's something in me that kind of pushes them aside because they started out as commercial enterprises to uh, fund the organ or to be flagships for the organizations that they came out of. And Mm -hmm. so that's a personal thing. Like, I think they're great, but they started out as kind of commercial enterprises, not my favorite way. Right. 
Well, I'm an NIV geek guy. When I gave uh, when I gave my life to Jesus when I was 16, my very first Bible was an NIV Life Application Bible. Oh and, yeah. And I read the binder. I, I ran the binding off of read the binding off of it. I mean, it was just it's. You're supposed apart. to read the pages, but okay. Well, I know. Okay, it works. You know, and <laughs> and so um uh, and then um and so I've been with the NIV actually every time the NIV updated from '84 um '01. I love the TNIV. Um, and in 11, whenever the new uh, uh, NIV came out, I've, I've, that's what I've used. Recently, this year, I changed over my preaching and teaching to uh, from the English Standard Version, which uh, Jim came up with, uh, was just speak, speaking to. Um, and the reason I did that was because of a blog I read from Carolyn Moore, who's a pastor over at Mosaic United Methodist Church in Augusta, Georgia. And she was talking about how every year she reads from a different version of Scripture. She preaches That's from strong. it and she teaches from it because it makes her a better Bible student. So um, reading the ESV for me is not as, um, you know, I have issues with it too. I think it's a little more on the Reformed side and I, I, there's just some some issues I have with it. However, that being said, um, it is forcing me to be a better Bible student, a better Bible teacher, um, and not to get um, not to get in a rut in my Bible reading, which I was in NIV. I mean, I absolutely was. And I'll go back to the NIV later uh, in another, you know, a couple of years maybe. But I'm, I'm going to stick with the ESV for for at least the rest of this year in my That's teaching awesome. and preaching. Just it makes you. I, I think she convinced me. It makes you a better Bible student to change it from time to time. I think um, that's fantastic. On, on my first read through the Bible this year, I'm not bragging. I don't do this a lot, but I read through the New Revised Standard. This one's through the NIV. Now, uh, look, I'm going to invite folks because honestly, I could talk about this all day. I'd love to talk to some potty humans about this, and maybe we could find some more time in uh, upcoming episodes just to talk about uh, practical things that people would love to hear about the Bible so that we can yeah. help them enjoy God in the scriptures. Yeah. When we come to God's word um, later on, I think there's some stuff in there about God's word, even more. We're going to get to God's word. Here. Yes, Finally. we are. <laughs> That's Finally. awesome. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Um, also on this episode on the uh, website, I'll put in the show notes, I'll put some stuff in there about the difference between translation and transliteration. Is it transliteration? Uh, the uh, uh, um, uh, not transliteration. Um, um, Paraphrase. Thank you. That's the word I was right. looking at. Yeah. Paraphrase and just give you some examples there. All right. So let's move on. The Trinity. The Trinity. Thank you, Jim, for that. And he's absolutely right about um, that. And you'll see that as a good, a good Bible student, you'll start seeing those things pop up in different translations. Um, and it's good to ask questions about that. But as he said, it doesn't do anything to the veracity to the doctrine of the Trinity. So this question brings up the doctrine of the Trinity. So we need to ask the question, what is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? And when y'all think of the Trinity, Alan or Jim, what comes to mind? How do you think, what, what do you think about, what helps you think through this doctrine? I mean, I think, I think Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, I think uh, it is who God is, is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. Um, and like we said already, once you, once you start looking for it, Mm-hmm. Once you realize that's who God is and, and how he shows up, then mm-hmm. you see it everywhere. Right. Absolutely. Um, one of the, so a little bit about the history behind the doctrine of the Trinity is that um, in the early church, in the first two or 300 years of the church, um, you had uh, this biblical understanding of the nature of God, but then you would have these heretical heresies just basically means um, against the grain. It's, 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 it's 
out of out of bounds, if you will, uh, of 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 accepted teaching. And you had these um, heretical uh, teachers. Uh, one particular, one very famous one, was a guy named Arius. Um, and Arius was a very charismatic Bible teacher. Very, and from what all intents and purposes was a very good uh, Bible teacher. He had an issue, though, and it was more of a philosophical issue uh, with the um, idea of, of God um, being able to uh, suffer and to die. What's the issue mm-hmm. here? And um, it becomes more his uh, issue. I say it's more the- philosophical because he was very steeped in kind of Greek philosophy. And there were these teachings in Greek philosophy about, uh, about which, uh, what was real and what was not real. Uh, that what was real was not this uh, physical body that, and this physical terrain that we live in because it's corrupted. This is all corruptible. What you can feel and touch and see and smell, all of that's real corruptible. But what was real was just above it, kind of in a, a different area. He called it, uh, play, it comes from uh, Socrates and Plato, and it was called uh, forms, the forms mm-hmm. of, of, of things. I don't want to bore you with Greek philosophy, although it is pretty interesting in my, in my uh, estimation. Nerd alert. But, but Arius is taking that idea, and he's putting it onto Jesus. And uh, so he, he has a big problem with the idea of Jesus being God because something happened to Jesus which should never happen to a God. Right. He died. <laughs> he died. And, and suffered so, and hurt. And he yes. suffered and he hurt. And, he, and, he, and there was changing. And if he was a God, he should never change. But there was this changeability that was happening in his, in his suffering and his death and all this kind of stuff. There are other heresies around this time, too. I'm not going to bore you with. Uh, but uh, th- this is a big one. This Aryan um, uh, uh, um, controversy uh, that was going on was, was pretty substantial. Then you had other teachers like um, Alexander and Athanasius and others who were uh, coming against Arius. In fact, they were writing documents called Against Arius. That was yeah. the, ty- the, the title of titles right there. Yeah, no, right. And they were bringing up this Trinitarian argument that you had uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were essentially one. So there's your monotheism. But they were distinct in what they did. They were dis- and, and not just what they did, but who they were. And who they were. That's exactly right. They were distinct in what they did and who they were so there was this um there was this greek word that they kind of that was so in three 325 a council is called in nicaea by constantine the emperor of rome he calls the christians together and he says okay we need to hammer this out we need to figure this out and so all these bishops come together and they start going at it and they come up with this a uh, word it's called homoousius homoousius and it means same substance same substance and so what they said was that the God, that God, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they were of the same substance, but they were a different personas. That was the idea behind it. Same stuff, substance, different personas. So it did nothing with monotheism. It kept the monotheistic uh, the, uh, framework, but it also highlighted the distinctness of each person within the Trinity itself. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it's not like somebody just had an idea and wanted to defend it. Like if you trace back the beginnings of all of those things that we now call heresies, a lot of it was people really trying to figure out who God was 
who's who is Christ, who is the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, they got pretty angry about defending themselves because who likes to be wrong, right? Right. right. Um, but when you take something like uh, Jesus did not was not God in in body and did not suffer, or like the Spirit of God entered Jesus and then left him before he could suffer, which is part of that incarnational heresy. But so what happens is when you start trying to take that idea and press it against the other parts of the biblical narrative, it, it doesn't quite work. You have to start forcing it. Well, so it can't quite be that way because it doesn't match up with I and the Father are one, for example. Right. And so you keep, so the doctrine kind of forms itself as people are wrestling with uh, the nature of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's it's not so much forced as it is formed as people are struggling with it. Um, and and it, why is it important? So, for example, if Jesus was not God and the Son of God made incarnate, the Word of God incarnate, read through your old Athanasius if you'd like to, that affects what it means for people to actually be saved. Right. That was Athanasius' huge, biggest argument right there. Yeah. And you can see some of that argument still play out um, when when we would say there, uh, one school of thought that looks at the cross is simply an, an exempt, exemplar or an example of what human beings can do at their worst. Right. But if that is not God dying in flesh, being buried in flesh and rising in flesh, that actually changes what it means to be redeemed. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I it think- was, I believe, Athanasius, what what is not assumed cannot be redeemed, meaning what what if, if God did not take on flesh, then right. could not be redeemed. That's exactly that, that was his key argument. Yeah. Yes. And Jim of the bringing same, it. I, well, look, this, this is all nerd town for for, for me. Um, and I'm going to get I'm going to get things wrong here just because that's just how it goes. We need to be humble. But of the same substance is important. Yes. Now, that we don't need to identify what the substance is. It's spirit. Right. right we found right. out from the catechism a couple weeks ago. But. The sun is of the same substance, meaning, and the spirit is of the same substance, which means one is not subservient to the other. They, and that's important too, because uh, when you start breaking down the logic of it, they are co-equal. If one is subservient to the other, then the scheme of salvation breaks down again. Right. Well, and I think what we need to realize, I mean, this is, this is hard stuff. It's this is, it is our, we, we have human brains um, that can only fathom and understand so much. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it, it's hard for us to grasp, okay, Jesus, I mean, like he was born of a woman. He died, but yet he's still God. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. The God that was there at the very beginning before everything else um, and will be there from forever. Um, that is just... I don't know. That blows my mind, really. I mean, yeah. when you start to think about it, so this is not this is not easy stuff. Um, we are thankful for the people that came before us, uh, who have sort of ironed some of this out. But it's still st- still difficult. And and there's so many analogies, so many different uh, ways to talk about the Trinity, and those all break down at some point. Um, yeah, you know, do. what were some of the things we talked? We, uh, I mentioned the triangle. Um, right. Equilateral triangle, equal sides, one triangle. Yeah. Um, 
you know. I loved all these things in like middle school. Right. You ever learn some of these? Tell us some of the um, ones that you're thinking of that you might have uh, taught kids when you were a youth director. Or something. Water. I may have used a stool I, one time. <laughs> yeah. Like the three-legged stool. Yeah, yeah. We've used that for the, um, um, anyways. But yeah, I, uh, there's they all sort of break. I, Brett mentioned the um, water. The, I used water. Uh, water. when i was in, when i was in oh, when yeah, i was a youth yeah. minister i used water yes, the different states of water you know it's all water but there's steam ice. and there's ice and only to and learn liquid. only to learn in seminary that that was a heresy actually called modalism because it did water is still heretic water is still water like it it is essentially still water uh no matter if it is steam or ice or uh uh or uh, what's the other thing? Steam or ice or liquid <laughs> or liquid. Yeah, that's it. Theology, um, but yeah. not so much with the physics. That's right. Absolutely. So it's called modalism. Modalism basically says it's just different modes of the same thing. And that was a heresy that uh, that was stamped out as or that was deemed heretical. Um, but what I what one kind of a more modern uh, teaching about the Trinity that I have liked, and this comes from um, it was mentioned in the Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith by Phil Talon, um, where uh, Philip Talon he says uh, or he he quotes somebody else when he talks about think of um, a chord on a piano uh, and how you've got separate notes for each chord. They're distinct notes. They make different sounds, but when they're played in harmony together. It's one uh, chord, and I think that's a uh, I think that's a, a, a very good analogy. Mm. Uh, yeah. So modalism is something that I think a lot of our modern day church falls into when they think about the, the Trinity. As in, the Old Testament talks about God the Father, the Gospels talk about God the Son, and the rest of the Bible talks about God the Spirit. As right. if God just decides that in this phase of history, this is how I'm going to show up. In this phase, I'm going to show up. On this phase, I'm going to show up. Right, right. When Alan's pointed out to us multiple times that just because we have named the word or the son of God, Jesus, uh, when he's born in the Gospels, he is preexistent. The, the word of God was always there. For, uh, John chapter one helps us with that big time. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's the eternal word of God that is made flesh. It's not a brand new thing. Right. It's the I've, word, the son of God doing a brand new thing, but the son of God is not a brand new thing. That's absolutely right. And let me also speak to what Alan I love said. it when you say that. I'm going to make, I'm going to write that down. Well, that's absolutely right. <laughs> that's what, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be a t our new shirt. That's going to be on my t-shirt. Jim is absolutely right, Brett. So anyway, um, uh, it, but Alan is right when he, when he's talking about how tough this is, it is tough, but just because something is tough doesn't mean we, it's not important. Right. And we're seeing that this is essential. Athanasius, Alexander, the Cappadocian fathers, these and, and more and more and more and more that they they were they 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 found this to be so important. They put their very lives, literally their lives and reputations and everything about them on the line for this. And I liked what John Wesley said, that even though this may be a challenging doctrine itself to try to, to get a hold of. He says that it enters into the very heart of Christianity, and it lies at the root of all vital religion. Hmm. So very important. I, um, I was just I was looking back over the, the absolute basis of the Christian faith, and I like what it says. Um, uh, imagine like this. The Father is the one who says, let there be light. Yeah. The Son goes and flips on the light switch. The Spirit is electricity that powers the light bulb. Mm -hmm. The Father is the source, the Son is the way, and the Holy Spirit is the power. 
um, the son beside you, the father above you, the spirit inside you all working to give us a right relationship with God. Right. Um, that's some good stuff right there. Listen, poetic too. I'm just saying, (laughs) see, and and it is good. And here's the deal. You may think, okay, this is some like theological, like this is ivory tower seminary doctoral level, or at least master's thesis level work. Why does it matter to me? Why does it matter in the local church? I'm going to, I want to sum this up from first John uh, chapter, uh, chapter four. Um, I hope it's, I think it's first John chapter four. Yes where uh, it's, uh, John writes, uh, God is love. Mm. God is love. Now, to me, this is the greatest example of the Trinity right here. This, those three words, God is love, and this is why. Uh, the idea behind the Trinity is that, um, and from what uh, Alan was sharing from the absolute basics of the Christian faith there points to this as well, is that um, uh, the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. And that the love that they share is such a real and concrete and uh, big and holy thing that it itself is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Like this, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the love that the Father and the Son share between each other, and that the Holy Spirit, this love in, within the Godhead gets poured out. It's so, it's so much and so big that it gets poured out. This is what we call grace to us. This is the working of God in our lives. This is, um, this is not original to me or to anybody. Uh, this is, uh, I read this in a, uh, I read this idea about the Holy Spirit being the love of God poured out um, from a, a Roman Catholic theologian, a guy named Renero Cantalamesa, who was the preacher to the papal household at one time. Now, how, how would you like to have that as your congregation? <laughs> the, that's a, that, that's a high pressure. Yes. On. So, um, and so he wrote this book. It's probably one of the best uh, um, books about the Holy Spirit uh, that, that, that there is. One of my favorite, I keep going back to it on a yearly basis around Pentecost. I always go back to it and read it. Very devotional, but there's so much meat to it. And it's called Come Creator Spirit. And it's a uh, theology of the Holy Spirit based on a hymn, um, an old, uh, old, old ancient hymn called the Veni Creator um, about, uh, about the Holy Spirit. And this is what, the, uh, this is what uh, Cantula Mesa says. He says, the Holy Spirit is nothing other than the love of God in person. Uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit is nothing but the love of God in person. So what he's saying is that the, the Holy Spirit is not a force which Christians are to tap into to better their lives, nor is the Holy Spirit a confusing or kind of scary teaching that should be neglected, um, but that the Holy Spirit is the love of God shared between the Father and the Son poured out for you and me. This is the love. This is the grace of God poured out for you. So you've got these distinct personas within the Trinity itself pouring out on upon us through grace, reaching out. This is God reaching out. This is God as love. This is God being love, reaching out, reaching out to us and um, pouring himself out to us. And so um, we are, uh, this is a beautiful thing. And I think it's a powerful thing for us. The Trinity is not something 
to be um, the Trinity is not something that is just for the theologically high-minded. The Trinity is for everybody because this is God's nature. God is love. Right. I think, and you know, one of the things, the other thing about the same idea of love is uh, um, the unity of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. The, yes. The, right. They are Absolutely. one. Right. Um, and and we are called to live out that same unity um, as as the Trinity, uh, the Church, the body of Christ. And so, um, you know, Jesus has that wonderful prayer in uh, in John. And, uh, and he prays for the unity of the church. He prays for us to be as one as he and the father are one. And, uh, and so, uh, and so there's a lot of talk right now about like, you know, you being unified in unity, but it's not unity for unity's sake. It's the unity um, of, of, of the Holy spirit of, of the, of the Trinity um, of God, the way God is, is one with himself. Um, right. We are to be one with each other. Um, so that's a um, another practical way that the the Trinity plays itself out um, in the local church. Yeah, and I think this is a uh, an idea. This this shows how the Trinity matters today. That the Trinity informs the doctrine of the Trinity informs how we do ministry. Sure. It informs how we do church. It informs how we uh, reach out and love and concern to people um, around the world. It informs how we love our enemies. It informs how we do, um, uh, do the miraculous. It informs everything. It informs missions. It informs, um, it informs any, anything that goes on in your church. That's what it informs. And so um, uh, the, the Trinity is more than just a, uh, a high-minded, highbrow, doctrinal, you know, thing of the past. It informs who we are. And let me say this one last thing. It does inform our very identity. The early church, once they kind of settled on this Trinitarian formula, would come up with the creeds, which would become these uh, pithy statements of the basics of our faith. And that, we, that, that build the foundation of who we are as the church. And so, that's, yeah, yeah, the Trinity is of, 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 of utmost importance. Little exercise, go find your Apostles' Creed. And then if you uh, grab the first line of each section, I believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. It's right there. Right. It's right there. Or, yep. and, and go to the, the, the creed that comes out of the Council of Nicaea, where the Trinitarian— uh, You mean the long one? The long one, that's right. The creed that comes out of that, um, the Council of Nicaea 325, um, where the doctrine of the Trinity is settled, they have— um, or You were at that council, right? I was. I, I was sitting in the balcony, and that's what I, thought. Um, I was— uh, They had these great— <laughs> Had these great Greek hot dogs that were— uh, so anyway, but there in the, in the Nicene Creed, it gets into depth, especially about Jesus, about in, uh, the same substance um, and, and uh, uh, God from God, light from light, true God from true. I mean, this, the language in that creed um, is, is one that set, sets, it, um, it sets it as a foundation for who we are as, as Christians. So the, we, we believe, and I, I believe, that the Trinity matters today, um, not only in our— in, in our spiritual lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, but also in the ministry we do and who we are as the church. I think ultimately, I mean, it is how God revealed himself to us. Right. Um, and 
part of our jobs as followers of Christ is to know God more. And so the more we can understand and know, even on such a difficult topic and so hard for us to fully fathom, the more we can, the better followers we make. So, oh, absolutely. And there's right. some there's some good uh, books out there. Um, I'll uh, I'll put into our show notes um, that help with this. Um, if you're a pastor. Um, or a Bible study uh, leader, or do any type of kind of ministry, whether on the uh, uh, vocational side or on a volunteer side, Um, one book I highly recommend is called The Trinitarian Shape of Ministry by Steve Siemens. Um, The Trinitarian Shape of Ministry by Steve Siemens. I'm going to put it up on on our uh, our, uh, website in the show notes at podakesis.com. That's podakesis.com. By the way, if you have questions about the Trinity, you can send us an email at questions at podakesis.com. You can also let us know on Facebook or at Twitter um, at podakesis, either one of those, if you've got questions or you want to throw some comments about the Trinity, podakesis.com. Go and check it out. But anyway, back to the show. That was our little advertisement. I have a question. I have a question. I have a question real quick. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if people are playing a Potakesis bingo and and on their bingo card is how many times we say show notes. Show notes. <laughs> <laughs> you know we, what? Listen, Potakumas, if you make a bingo card, yes. I'll I'll give you a free copy of something that we'll talk about soon. <laughs> if you make a legit bingo card and I want but, it. You got to post a picture of it. I mean, I yeah, need to like, see this. Seriously. Uh, Please make a bingo card. Or yes. you just email it to us at questions at Potakesis. I want that. I'll get. I'll give you the first one to send that in, like a legit one. There's a free gift coming your way. That's Fun I like it. I like by the Reverend James R. Morrow. There you go. Fantastic. Um, what was I? Oh, the book. Yeah. So anyway, the book. Uh, I'll put it up on the uh, the at Potakesis.com. And uh, but the Trinitarian Shape of Ministry lays this out how this is a very practical doctrine that is the foundation of all we do as the church. All we do in ministry. Steve, Dr. Siemens has a great, just very accessible way of, of, of laying that out uh, for us. Um, you know, sometimes, and, and we've, we've hit on this a lot, uh, we don't have to get like ivory tower heady. We have to make sure that what we do and think about and study in the Christian faith, like it has to have legs, yeah. you know, and it's got to yeah. help people's lives. But we cannot neglect things just because we can't find the immediate practical use or practical expression. Just because we don't see an immediate practical expression of something that comes out of our great Christian tradition doesn't mean it's not there. And so it's not ours to toss out or call stupid or call non-biblical or uh, dismiss. Uh, Our job then becomes to place it in its proper, give it its proper weight and set our hearts to discover what is the practical expression so that we can make disciples of Jesus Christ. As a lot of these things that are are spoken about here, they seem so old because Mm. somewhere along the way, somebody said, ah, it's not worth it. Mm. Mm. Well, I think, I think um, that's great. I think, I think that we'd realize that we may um, just simply by knowing something, we don't know how that will change how we do something. Um, even if you can't see the actual uh, application, you you may log it in your brain, and years from now, it may change how you do right. something. So absolutely, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. And um, uh, just listen, 
also, and I appreciate what you said there, Jim, that we stand on the shoulders of 2,000 years of history, and so much in the first three to 400 years of that history was to hammer out these core essential things that are so important, that hold us up. They're the pillars of our faith. They are what holds us up um, as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as the church. It's the foundation of who we are, these, these doctrines. Um, and they're important. They were so important in that day. One of the things that's so fascinating about the whole Trinitarian, um, con- the Arian controversy, the Trinitarian formula, all that, were that there were actual riots in the streets this is so fascinating. Riots in the wow. streets over these doctrinal minds. There were people who were for Arius. Arius is right. Arius is right. Arius is. And there were people who were for Alexander and Athanasius. And they were their followers were taken to the streets Man, over this issue. The last time I saw church people get to the streets about something, we changed the color of the carpet. I know. Right. Oh, right. Or That's you know, the, amazing. Yeah. I mean, they were. They were going into the street, arguing with each other. Now, at the end of this day, what ends up happening uh, to Arius is is that um, he is deemed a heretic, and he is kind of excommunicated out of the, the community. Now, this is not as bad as it seems. It's not like they tied him to a stake and burned him there. You know, unfortunately, the church that would, would have been bad. The church would yeah. start practicing stuff like that in the Middle Ages, um, particularly like in the Spanish Inquisition and stuff. There was a lot of racism and just stuff going on. Some power there's sin within the church that led to to that in the Spanish Inquisition. But the excommunication that happened to Arius was he was just well not allowed to teach anymore. He was kicked out of the community. He was told to leave. Um, what's interesting about that is uh, that Constantine, this is before Constantine's quote-unquote uh, conversion experience happened with him, which happened on his deathbed. Um, Constantine would later, after all this was settled in 325, he would go back to Arius and try to bring him back in. Mm. He uh, Constantine was much more... Um, uh, he, he thought Arius's argument was actually stronger. Uh, thank God that it wasn't left up to Constantine. Constantine had a bishop in his ear who was leading, who was trying to correct him in what he was doing. But it was, uh, but he would bring Arius back in and um, and actually restore rights to Arius um, how, later on. How graceful. So, yeah, and you see, but you also see kind of the marriage of the church and the state really start taking mm. place at this, at that time as well. I am, I, I encourage you, go and read the history of this. It's fascinating, fascinating. Okay, Brad, I will, fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, got, speaking of show notes, uh, one, I, I want to see if we can notes. find this again and put it in there. I, it comes out like every St. Patrick's Day and every Trinity Sunday, somebody posts it back up. It's that little St. Patrick's ding, thing where they're they're like, uh, oh, Patrick, they're talking about trying to, like, the Trinity. Yeah. If y'all have seen that, shoot it over to us. We'll try to find it in the show notes. It is hilarious. Yes, absolutely. And it makes me feel so dumb about what I know about the Trinity. Uh, <laughs> we got to get that up there, guys. We should have we should have made the audio of the show. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Jim, you want to repeat what you just said there? We should have played what? The audio. Oh, the audio. Yes, yes. Did I uh, say something that needs to be edited on accident? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> no, it just it went in out. Anyway, oh. um, all right. So the Trinity, so much there. Um, I tell you, what, I'm gonna just I'm gonna pepper that website, uh, the show notes. Um, I show notes. I show notes. That's I said show notes. Show notes. 
If you put pepper on the bingo card, you get extra credit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to just put all kinds of resources, some good histories and stuff like that for you, for y'all to be looking at with this. Um, so the Trinity, what do y'all think about it? You for it or against it? <laughs> well i think i'm convinced now <laughs> very nice uh the podakesis podcast is officially for we, the trinity I mean, this is our first official endorsement we of the trinity the we trinity. are for the trinity <laughs> <laughs> and uh we hope you are too uh some of my favorite songs uh hymns particularly are very trinitarian holy 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 um is a great trinitarian praise hymn uh, some of the great worship songs that there are out there are very Trinitarian in their nature. Um, it's just a beautiful thing to see how God so loved the world. And that's really what the Trinity, for me personally, the Trinity embodies John 3.16. And it is a powerful, um, it is a powerful thing. God so loved the world, he would give his son and that there would be redemption and there would be salvation because of that love. Uh, it's It's powerful. And I hope you, I, I want you to know the Trinity too. Um, if you would like to know more information about what it means to be a follower of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, a follower of the, the Holy Spirit of God, the follower of God the Father, um, we'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Um, and you can reach us at uh, questions at podakesis.com, and you can also reach us on social media at Facebook and Twitter. We want to talk to you because we believe as Athanasius did 2,000 years ago, uh, and as Christians have believed for those 2,000 years, we believe that salvation itself lies at the heart of this. As John Wesley said, it's at the heart of all vital religion um, itself. And so uh, if you want to know what it, more about what it means to be a follower of this God who would, um, gosh, he would, he would pull no punches, would he, uh, for us, um, then we, we want to talk to you about that so uh, this has been quite a powerful episode so like look we went all the way from uh the best friends in alan's lime green shirt to biblical <laughs> translation yes to athanasius yes and confucius no confucius wasn't in there it's constantine constantine <laughs> bingo this is awesome stuff but and we, we can't leave all of that oh, without i've got a question for you yes please guys how many persons are there in the godhead Alan, won't you take that one since you had it <laughs> to begin with? <laughs> I don't know if you guys are ready for this. Come on, let's throw the answer. Bring throw it. some knowledge. There are three persons in the Godhead: the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Can I get an A? Amen. All right. Wow. So, oh, oh, okay. So special, special announcement. But before we get to the special announcement, Aww. let's talk a little bit about next episode, what we're going to be doing. Next episode, uh, we're getting to the first revisions of John Wesley to the Shorter Catechism. We've oh, gone through all wow. these. We're getting to the first revisions. And these revisions are total revisions. He struck them out. He oh, struck man. these questions out. He sent them home. So, That's he sent them home. Move. He said, no, you can't play in this Wesleyan tennis court. Sit right on here. the bench. So you're going to have to go. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually combine two questions, questions seven and eight, because they're very similar to each other. They deal with the decrees of God. And so we're going to uh, uh, talk about what that means, the decrees of God, why John Wesley would, uh, would strike those out. 
and and move on. We're not going to skip them as Wesley would have told his uh, told his uh, preachers to do. We're going to we're going to move right on with it. We're coming at all you Calvinists. Yes, we are. This is a very oh, Cal- no, yes. Come on. We're, we're coming. I'm we're just coming. joking. I'm just joking. No. This is a joke. Come we're, back, please come back. <laughs> we're riding our circuit rider Wesley and horses, and we're we're really at just going to talk about Wesley. That's it. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. This is going to be a very Wesleyan uh, talk about Wesley and the special announcement joining us for that conversation is dr justice hunter dr justice hunter who is one of the co-authors of the wonderful project that's coming out right now the absolute basics of the wesleyan way absolutely um so dr excited about this it's going to be great he and phil talon who phil uh talon who wrote the absolute basics of the christian faith they've written this great great uh resource for us and dr hunter is going to be with us and he's perfect to talk about not only uh the the book and that that resource and we're going to spend some time there but he's also perfect to join us with this conversation about the decrees of god john wesley who he was why he would do this thing of scratching these uh, questions out and i'm so excited about this this is pretty good it's going to be fantastic because uh, we like to pick fun we're not going to attack anybody what we want to do is just kind of celebrate the the wesleyan heritage that we share well also it gives us a chance to like illuminate the the calvinist and reform tradition that this comes out of right but um y'all have got to check it out you've heard us mention absolute basics of the christian faith like three or four times you might think that that's all we know it's kind of true but this is going to be a great and fantastic project we've already seen some of it and this is what i was talking about if you can the first person to send me a legit fun it has to be fun potakesis bingo card i'm going to send you we are going to send you a free brand new copy of the absolute basics of the wesleyan way it's announced right now the other guys didn't even know but it's happening well, and, and he says uh, we, but he really just means Jim because Jim does us to it. So yeah, that's right. Jim's no. fault. He's Jim's doing it. I don't, <laughs> I don't have anything to do with it. But that's, we're going to send you a, a copy. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, make uh, your bed, you lie. Jim, I love Jim. Jim's so worried I offended our Calvinist brothers and sisters, but they know I was all I was just picking. So, well, the only uh, listener that I know outside of my mom is uh, is my Calvinist friend down the street. So, well, the bingo the bingo card will determine how many are actually listening to this. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, Allison, will you please make us a bingo Allison, card? Allison, please. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd ask for Amanda, my, my wife Amanda, to make one, but she doesn't listen unless yeah, I Yeah, my wife page. doesn't listen either. <laughs> I listen to you all day. Bingo, bingo card free. Justice Hunter next week. Drama yes. because there's revisions to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Yes, oh, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. So uh, once again, uh, thank you for joining us on the Podakesis podcast. Uh, you can hit us up at uh, questions at podakesis.com if you have any questions, comments, prayer concerns. Uh, you can also find us um, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Podakesis. Just find us there. We're there. Uh, join that community. Uh, let us know. And you can find us wherever you he- listen to your podcast, as you already know, because you're listening to us. But for your friends who need to know, let them know that they can find us anywhere on wherever they listen, Apple, Google, it doesn't matter. We're all over the place. Just look for us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. But we do ask, once again, that you would help us out. That's right, my friends. The Podakesis podcast needs your help. We're struggling. We need help. 
We need you to go to Apple. We need you to find the Podakesis podcast. You'll know it's us. It's got Jim Morrow and Brett Maddox and Alan Kaysen there. The Podakesis podcast. You can find it on Apple. It's right there on the, on the podcast, our iTunes podcast. And there are these stars. There's one, two, three, four, five you need, stars. You need five stars. Is that what it yes, is? Yes, that's exactly awesome. right. There's one. There's the, Don't so give us one. Somebody give him some five stars. Somebody give him some don't stars. Don't give us two. apparently we're struggling here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would My love for you. mom loves Podakesis. I don't know what we need more of. Just, just go throw, hit that fifth star. When you hit that fifth star, something magical happens. They just all five. Yes. They all five light up and it's a beautiful thing. Oh. Let us know that you love us by going to there and, and and after you leave the five-star review, actually leave a review. Put a put put a little comment there telling us telling the world how much you love the Potakesis podcast. And if you're the guy who wanted me to talk about chess, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> That's exactly right. This is not about chess though. This podcast is not about chess. All right. Uh, so at this moment, uh, the music is rolling, the credits are going. And we are so thankful for the Potakis community. We love you, and we're praying for y'all, and we're just grateful for your love for us and for how you just uh, spurred us on to continue this project together. Um, we pray that you, the Lord would bless you and all that you do. Y'all have a good rest of your day, and we'll see you next time on the Potakis Podcast. <laughs>